Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Welcome, welcome, welcome to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio, and yes, I am your host, Rob Watson. And today we have yet another really fascinating show. Um, it's a little bit different from what we've been doing the last few weeks. We've had, um, and I'm sure you've been listening, that the uh, last guests uh, over the past few weeks have been landmark leaders stepping out, um, coming out in, um, in, it turns out, in various sports. We had Leo Baker, who came out as trans at the height of his uh, career or, or at one of the heights of his career in skateboarding. Uh, we've had the um, swimmer, Shiler, who came out as um, uh, trans um, at the height of his swimming career. And uh, then last week we had uh, the uh, great footballer who came out um, as gay, you know, as, as part of that. Well, today, no one is really coming out. Today, uh, we are looking in a different direction. We're looking to the world of politics. And we're many people looking at the political landscape right now, uh, especially when we start looking towards younger people, is what exactly is the world that we're going to leave them? And at what point are they going to get involved? Well, fear not. Thousands of kids around the country are getting involved right now and have been. Um, The YMCA has conducted a program uh, called the Youth Governor, and this is taking place in quite a few states where kids are literally forming um, alternate versions of the government, the local government, uh, populating their formation of government, um, and acting as if they are running the, the, the governments themselves and making advice and um, learning the process and um, all of that kind of good stuff. Well, in California, we have um, one of those programs that has been going on um, in terms of the youth governor, and now you are going to get to see that up close and personal in a new documentary coming out called, wait for it, The Youth Governor. And The Youth Governor will track the film, tracks the, um, the campaign for the 72nd Youth Governor um, of the state of California. And uh, that governor took office, took office in the youth government um, two years ago, I believe. And uh, uh, so, but this film takes you through that process through, and we'll get into that with the filmmakers um, as they, the governor candidates ran for government, the, um, the conventions that they went through, the um, campaigns that they conducted, as well as the challenges they had to overcome uh, to get there, uh, it, it tracks 4,000 kids um, who 
came together. Um, These 4,000 kids out of that group, they become legislators, lobbyists, political party bosses, and they hold these elections. Um, In the film, there are six different candidates that we watch. That group of six gets narrowed down to three and then down to two. And then finally, at the end of the film, we see which candidate ultimately gets elected. Um, And our guests today are uh, Jaron and Matthew uh, Hamley. They are the writers, the directors of this film, and as it happens, they are brothers. Um, So we get to hear their story as well. Um, Before we bring them on, I'm going to welcome to the show the editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine and the co-host of the show, Brody Levesque. Brody, how are you doing today? Hey, Rob. I'm doing well, I guess. A couple things that I wanted to point out today that I think is kind of important to our readers. Um, A faculty member in Escambia County, Florida, and this is a gentleman who teaches special education for grammar students, uh, resigned. And the reason he resigned was that because a member of the school administration went into his classroom and removed pictures of historic black American heroes off of his classroom walls, telling Michael James, the instructor, that the images were age inappropriate. Images that were removed from the classroom included Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Harriet Tubman, former Secretary of State and General Colin Powell, and famed biologist and scientist George Washington Carver. Um, James, of course, you know, has been a teacher for a while. As a matter of fact, he told the Pensacola News Journal he's been teaching special education classes for 15 years. So he was just a little disturbed by that. What probably made it worse was that the, the James told the paper, and then the paper verified, the majority of the neighborhoods that surround this particular elementary school, O.J. Sims Elementary, are black. And the entire purpose for those pictures was to inspire these young kids so that they could look up and see themselves. Now, his resignation, which came in the middle of this week, just before uh, Florida schools started to go back into session, uh, was pretty well uh, publicized across uh, the state. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has more or less been waging a cultural war campaign uh, on two issues, Um, one against the LGBTQ uh, plus community, uh, particularly transgender students, and then against this thing that the right keeps hanging their hat on for critical race theory, which is not being taught in public schools at all. As a matter of fact, it's kind of one of those optional elective classes that you take in university. Uh, Congressman Charlie Crist, who uh, is from the St. Petersburg area of Florida, and he's currently running for the nominee for the Democratic Party as a gubernatorial candidate, had this to say today. DeSantis's culture wars are infiltrating every corner of our state, and it's Florida students who are paying the price. Now, the Escambia County School District 
basically said we were aware of the resignation, his stated reasons. Uh, we were copied on the email that he wrote to the governor's office and, Mary, and various media outlets before we had an opportunity to investigate. We are now processing conducting a full investigation, blah, 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 the usual trite that you would expect coming from them. Um, now, in a commentary way, I agree with Congressman Christ. This is, again, yet another example of the war that DeSantis and the Florida Republicans are waging on marginalized communities. And they're doing it for, quite frankly, naked political gain. It's something that they can get their base all stirred up with, and it's something that is popular with, quite frankly, a minority that is a majority, but a minority that has a lot of power. And yes, you know, to the white nationalistic Christian nationalist folks in Florida, I'm talking about you. So, and of course, everybody is fully aware of the fact that DeSantis has his eye on a run for the Oval in 2024. So this is more political red meat uh, for his folks. But you know, my my head is spinning. Yeah, yeah, Brody, my head is spinning on this. I cannot even wrap my my head around any kind of rationalization on age appropriate. I mean, that is so bizarre um, and and ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, what what is the reaction to this? I mean, this can't be. just something where they're quote unquote investigating. I mean, is there any kind of commentary going on around this or discussion going on around this at all? I need to note for those of you that are not familiar with Florida, uh, it's uh, geopolitical makeup. The Scambia County is Trumper thumper country. I mean, it's heavily conservative. These people scream two a one a, you know, all the rights for me, but not for thee. That's the kind of mentality that you've got there. And unfortunately, um, there's a lot of the populace of the state of Florida that's like that. I mean, there are islands of blue in the state, Rob, places like Orlando uh, and places like, you know, Tampa and, of course, Miami and some parts of Broward. But you, you, when you're talking about, you know, Panhandle, uh, Florida, which is where Scambia County is located, and it's right on the Alabama border, um, yeah, it's redneck country, and and it really does operate uh, in a vacuum sometimes when it comes down to these issues. Um, the truth of the matter is that there is a tremendous amount of disparity in the realities for Black Americans that live in these, you know, areas, and you know the white folk and everyone else, and then. You have people like DeSantis and people that follow him that have absolutely, you know, no problem pouring petrol on the fire of racism. You know, the attacks on the LGBTQ plus community and the actions taken by the DeSantis administration do, in fact, spill over into other areas. It is not unlike what we saw when Trump was elected because, you know, he ripped the Band-Aid off, he opened up Pandora's box. And before you know it, uh, we had Charlottesville, or we had the January 6th insurrection. These people feel empowered. And when you have a governor like DeSantis, you know, it doesn't help. Now, conversely, I'm going to move up a few states to the Commonwealth of Virginia, 
This week in an interview with a Washington, D.C. ABC affiliate, WJLA Television, Governor Yunkin basically said with his new conservative majority on the State Board of Education, he's going to let them sign off on a policy that will force teachers to out LGBTQ students, particularly trans students, to their parents. Now, Yonkin is a Republican who more or less, quite frankly, based on his track record, you could consider DeSantis light. And But this is the operating philosophy of some of these folks. I find it ironic that our guests today, okay, are basically doing civics and civics participation for kids. And while this is going on, we are seeing a gulf, okay, in, you know, political reality uh, for some states. I mean, it's all well and good to run, you know, a program in California, but you can't do that same program down in Texas because you've got such a divide. And especially on issues that surround LGBTQ kids, trans kids in particular, and, and, you know, kids from the minority communities, whether they be Latino or black or Asian. This is something that people need to understand. You know, this isn't, we're not, we're not reporting and writing about the 1960s, ladies and gentlemen. This is 2022, and these people like DeSantis and Yunkin and the rest of them and Greg Abbott of Texas are no different than Alabama Montgomery Police Chief Bull Connor when he turned fire hoses on black people seeking the right to be able to vote in 1963. It's that kind of mentality. Well, right, and that's part of what the discussion was when Trump was in office about how a lot of these white supremacist values, ideals, um, ideologies, and actions are becoming normalized. I mean, that's what is so shocking about what happened to this teacher. I, I, yes, it's, it's that part of Florida. Yes, it's Trumper-thumper country. Yes, all of those things. But five years ago, ten years ago, um, that type of thing would have just created complete shock and outrage, you know, that somebody told a teacher to take down a picture of Martin Luther King because it wasn't, quote-unquote, age-appropriate. It, it just is this dial back is what is so shocking, in, in my opinion. Um, so, anyway, um, Brody, did you have anything on the um, – Speaking of Trump, um, the ripple effects of the search warrant on on Mar-a-Lago or any of the other Trump um, events of the past well, week. Yeah, I, a couple of yeah, a couple of quick ones on that. I, um, U.S. Attorney General uh, Merrick Garland um, gave us a statement, meaning the press corps this morning. It was broadcast live. Um, on the you know what limited things he could say, they're they're playing it very close to the vest. Um, essentially, you know the need for the search warrant um, he signed off on, so it, he he personally directed it. So it was him saying yes, I ordered it. Um, the second thing the attorney general and I'm just summarizing it is I'm not going to talk about it. And the third thing is is that. You know, he defended the FBI and the Department of Justice, uh, you know, personnel. Uh, as you know, the right wing has lost its collective mind, and there have been death threats, and there have been talks of civil war, and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, I can tell you from the reporting that my staff and I have been doing in 
looking at, you know, the overall. This entire scenario with this particular execution of a search warrant developed over a period of six or seven months. This just didn't suddenly occur. And it was kicked off by a request for a criminal investigation by the National Archives. And the reason for it is because the former president, when he left and decamped to Mar-a-Lago, took documents with him, some of which have some serious national security implications because of their classification. There was some negotiation to get the documents back. Um, They got 15 boxes of records back, but there were still some documents that were still outstanding. There was back and forth and back and forth. Uh, The Justice Department finally decided to take it to a grand jury. Uh, There was enough evidence there for issuing probable cause uh, for a warrant, which ultimately the Attorney General of the United States signed off on, and they executed the search. You know, the bottom line here is, as the Attorney General said in an interview last week with my colleague Lester Holt from NBC News, yeah, he told Lester that no one is above the law, including former presidents, and that he would take whatever action was necessary to basically uphold the law. The irony to this, which some of us find a little amusing, and at least those of us in the press corps, in 2018, Trump signed a law <laughs> because of his whole thing with the Hillary emails that made what he did an actual felony. So it's like there's a pile on here. Um, The attorney general also made public this morning in the press briefing that they are making the uh, documentation to the search warrant and the search warrant itself uh, public. So uh, in within the next few hours, uh, you should be able to go read the search warrant and the accompanying documentation on why they ended up doing it and more specifically what it was they were looking for. Well, Good. Um, though it, I'm sure will not dampen the the feigned outrage on um, in certain camps. Uh, oh, it's, not uh, even the yeah, slightest. Fox yeah. will be all over this. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's um, it, I mean it's just ironic. I, I've watched some of the the stuff and their the way they are expressing themselves is is just pure outrage, and but it's not even sensical it's like the the um logic that they apply to it is all over the map um uh ridiculous speculations um and and quite frankly a lot of lying um so mm-hmm. anyway we'll we will continue to watch that i just hope the legal process um works its way and is effective um it's you know There are a lot of moving parts going on, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. So right now we're going to focus not on today's mess and the current government and um, all of that, but we're going to look a little bit to the future. And what if the kids of today held the reins? And we're uh, talking about a documentary that is coming out later this week called The Youth Governor, where we get to get a glimpse into that kind of world. Um, so with that, I'd like to uh, welcome to the show um, Matthew and Jaron, um, two brothers, um, who have um, who are going to show this to us. Welcome, guys. Hey, Mr. Hey, Watson, how are you? 
Great. So I, since we're not sitting across the table, I have no idea whose voice is whose. So I'm, um, <laughs> well, <laughs> we're we're going to do this. Well, we don't uh, in, we don't exactly the, look the alike. Way. We don't look alike, so our voice is the only uh, the only thing that's hard to distinguish. But this is Matthew talking, and uh, yeah, we're interchangeable <laughs> on radio, so this is the combined. There you go. So. Well, well, we'll let you guys debate as to which one of you is better looking. So, and and none of us uh, listening will know the difference. So. Um, but let's get <laughs> back to what you guys do. Um, first of all, how did you get into film? Who who got interested first? Uh, so um, this is Matthew uh, talking. I'll 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 tee it up for you, Jaron, and then he's my older brother, and he's he's really why we're working in documentary film, but. Uh, I started in journalism at the University of Colorado and uh, had internships there at the city paper and, and came back to L.A. And uh, Jaron went to film school. And, and uh, what happened right after that? <laughs> I forget. <laughs> we combined forces. Well, basically, yeah. We, uh, when I got out of film school, Matt was into journalism. Um, pretty quickly when he finished school, um, we just approached each other and said, what, what's the combination of these two things? And documentary film was clearly the answer. And so we started a production and post-production company together. And um, from that point, we were just working jobs and, um, you know, to afford to be able to do what we wanted to do um, with our careers. And we, that was uh, 13 years ago, 14 years ago. So... Um, yeah, we've been working together. And then always with the focus, yeah, always with the focus on uh, issues. And we got uh, keyed in by some friends and colleagues who were kind of involved in the criminal justice uh, issues in California between 2009 and 2013. It was really like a formative time for that movement. Uh, we started working, doing some doc film work for foundations and different groups, and then. Uh, all those stories, we were working stories, we had a lot of original stories, and that led us into Vice uh, at that time and uh, started working for Vice and doing uh, kind of global uh, episodic documentary for them. And we were there for a little over two years, won a Producers Guild Award working for them, doing a global doc series. Uh, I was the producer and the field producer for that uh, project, and then Jaren was the editor. Uh, and then... Um, and then we've just been working on various features, episodic television, foundation-funded projects, short docs. You know, that was really kind of our break, I guess you could say. Right, yeah. And you guys, you do, um, I mean, if a corporate entity was interested in documentary, you do that for them as well, right? Like you would, like they could commission you to do a documentary on their behalf. Uh, yeah, I mean, when we say documentary, I think we mean like a uh, independent work of journalism. So like the youth governor, for example, is, uh, you know, an independent project. Um, we have not commissioned by the YMCA to have been made for them. Uh, so, right. uh, but yeah, we do work, we do work for hire in the, you know, we consider that commercial work and uh, we do commercial work all the time. That's uh, a big part of making a, a good living in uh being a documentary film professional is, is, is kind of dancing in and out of those worlds. Right. So let's dial over to the, the youth governor. Um, I mean, the film is, yeah. uh, it's actually um, very compelling, a very compelling watch. It is uh, dramatic. It is exciting and, um, you know, almost nail biting to the, to the very end. 
and yet you guys take this very clean um, viewpoint where you're non-intrusive. It's like you're not you as the viewer are not aware of the film taking you along. You are you get caught up in the story. Um, how important is that to you to be that kind of silent entity telling the story? Well, That's everything I think for that, us. Yeah, ver- yeah. Verite, verite filmmaking to us has always been our goal of, um, you know, from Matt's background as a journalist, um, especially, you know, we want to approach everything um, from from the angle of ob- observing and not influencing. Yeah. Um, so that was Which is an impossible, it's an impossible task in doc film because you have to be there with cameras. It's, kind of an impossible, it's impossible. I mean, you have to get lucky in documentary, and then not only have to get lucky, you have to be there before the lucky moment happens so that you can set up and be filming it. So it's it's pretty a tall order, but uh, we just we just care, you know, we were just uh, very tight with the, we were out in front of the story, as, as they say, and so we were able to be there with these kids and let what they did unfold in, you know, what we consider a very pure approach to doc film, which is just a fly on the wall, try to be there and get it. Yeah. Yeah, Well, great job. And yeah, that, that totally, totally worked. Um, How did this project come about? What, how did it fall onto your radar? Uh, Well, Jaron and I grew up in Culver city, California, and uh, we were in youth and government as young people uh, through the YMCA. So the program is actually called Youth and Government. It's a YMCA program. The film is called The Youth Governor. And uh, it's like you described in the beginning of the show, Rob, it's uh, a kind of a government simulation program where the kids all sign up through their local YMCA. So there's local delegations all over California. And then they go to these conferences and then they pick roles in, you know, in, in a government and then in February, they go to Sacramento while all of the uh, state government is away on President's uh, Weekend, and they fulfill these roles in a, in a simulated government. So there's, like you said, there's lobbyists, there's a Senate assembly, um, you know, political parties, Department of Education. It's very robust. It's very detailed. And the kids really lose themselves in the program and, and the, the election. There's a lot of elections. There's lieutenant governor, secretary of state, sergeant at arms speaker of the house i mean every everything uh but the youth governor is obviously the highest position and the most high profile race in the program uh so that's the story we chose to follow but we've experienced this uh through our whole life we were involved in the program as kids and then we volunteered as young adults to be uh like advisors um chaperones you know same same kind of thing um so we've witnessed tons of these program years um so we really knew how to approach the story and, you know, how to, um, how to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Well, that's really fascinating that you guys were so that, I mean, this is not something foreign to you. This is a world that you actually lived in yourselves. Um, what, one thing looking at uh, doing some research on this, it appears that a lot of these um, kid led um, governments, actually do make recommendations and bill recommendations to the actual government. Um, how much of that have you observed happening um, through that program? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, we can speak to California. We know that it does, it happens. California is a leader in the youth and government programs across the country just because it's the largest, it's the most robust. Um, and uh, it has happened over the years. I mean, it just, just like real government, citizens can petition and cajole and pressure their representatives to bring legislation to the floor for votes and create laws. And so these kids there's, you know, that same process is happening in the youth government, in the youth and government program. So some of the top bills that come out of the youth and government uh, Senate and Senate come out of committee floor, you know, floor vote, like speeches for and against legislative analysts uh, partake lobbyists, you know, the whole process going back to committee amendments made back out to the floor, sent over to the assembly, back to the Senate, up to the governor, those bills get signed. The, gov the youth governor has time with the actual governor, so uh, they get to spend some time with Gavin Newsom. Uh, they also, the kids also, while they're in Sacramento, there's some representatives who aren't away for the President's Day weekend who are still kind of working, and the kids will will try to get some FaceTime with their representative, and, a lot, and sometimes kids bring the bills that they're working on to the attention of those representatives. And so I, there's been a few uh, laws that have, come out of using government and then put into the hands of a state rep and then put onto the floor of the actual California assembly or Senate. But it's, it's not a, there's rumors that the California bike helmet law started in, in, in youth and government, but that can, uh, hasn't been verified. So that's uh, it's just a, uh, it's kind of floating around there, but we all like to say that. <laughs> word, word on the street. No, I love it. Word on the street. <laughs> which, yeah. which actually a great law is coming from a parent. Yeah. yeah great law. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, I'm, I, and I'd happily give the kids credit for that one. Um, what, what surprised you about the caucuses um, themselves as you were filming? Were, were there any aha moments about just philosophically what the different kid groups were thinking and what was important to them? That's, it's funny you say philosophical because I think what we are so proud to showcase from this story is not the philosophers that these kids learn how to be in the program because they do. They're giving speeches in front of thousands of people. They're standing up for their ideas. They are philosophizing in that way. But what they really learn to do is not be, be you know, philosopher leaders, philosopher, you know, like, um, you know, thought leaders, they learn how to do the hard work of government. They learn how to mm -hmm. get in the committee, fight for their bills, fight for their amendments, fight off those amendments, get to the floor, pass one side, pass the other side, get the lobbyists on their side, get the legislative analysts agreeing with their financial outlook, getting it to the governor and getting it signed. They learn how to do the hard work. They don't learn about, you know, the other things come with the territory. But this is the focus of the program. This is what they learn how to do. You know, so when you say what kind of, what do we see as far as like the philosophical ideas that come from these kids? I mean, these are teenagers. They're on the cutting edge of, you know, social and political thought. But what they really learn is the hard work, and that's that's what we admire the most. 
No, then that that absolutely comes through because the I think that is for as a viewer that's one of the really big imprints that you get from the film in terms of um, these people are not arguing. It's not a debate club where they're debating an issue over you know right or wrong and and against each other that way. This is definitely um, you know caucus building and and um, juxtaposing themselves um, and you highlight a couple of key um, challenges for a couple of the candidates that that they go through and I don't want in this podcast I don't want to to indicate who wins or um, you know who overcomes or all that because I really want people to watch the film and find that out for themselves um, but there's one one candidate who I, I was super intrigued because she is representing a group and she came nominated out of a group, but she talks frequently through the film how she actually philosophically was not fully on board with that particular group. Um, can you talk to that a little bit and, and how she navigated that? Yeah. Um, well, we don't want to give away too much because that's a, a really phenomenal story that emerged from um, this young candidate's experience. Um, but I just think that it just, it's a, you know, the story, what makes using government, the program so remarkable is how robust and advanced the simulation is for the kids. Um, it's like you said, it's not like a student government. It's not speech and debate. It's fully immersive, and they lose themselves in this experience. So what she dealt with was a very complex political scenario, and her calculus was really remarkable. And so you're talking about, yeah, uh, you know, she won. She was able to win her party primary, and the kids are randomly placed into political parties. That That's just kind of behind the curtain of the simulation. They're randomly placed in these political parties. Um, and uh, that's explained in the film how that process happens. But her political party happened to be a little more uh, mixed ideology. And she was able to win the primary. Um, but the kind of core constituency of that party wasn't necessarily in step with her political ideology and her platform. And so that became a really strong storyline for the film is how she dealt with like wrangling this party that was at odds with her platform that she was their candidate. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a really dynamic political storyline that she, uh, you know, for a 16 year old girl to be navigating that is really amazing to watch. It, the, I think that, um, you just mentioned her age. And I think that for me was one of the biggest um, shocks of the film was across the board, every single person on camera that was political in this process. And I'm talking about the kids. None of them come off kid-like. None of them come off like, you know, a, what, a cliche teenager you would think of. In fact, in many cases, they're more articulate, more 
in-tuned, more visionary than what we're observing with adults in government. Um, and to me, that was a little shocking. What Did you guys feel that way? What was your takeaway in observing the, the maturity level of, of the people that you were filming? Well, since we did the program ourselves, um, we've witnessed this year after year, this sort of lightning in a bottle that this program is and can be for, um, for teen voices, you know, and, and they discover their voices in real time on the microphone um, in, in, in this year, uh, you know, in front of the cameras. And uh, we, Matt and I would joke that, like, sometimes it felt like the kids are the adults in the room, you know, because they just, they're wearing the suit and tie and they're walking around the Capitol and they lose themselves in the simulation and they really take on that role. And since they're um, coming into their own in terms of their opinions and, and voicing um, their, you know, political perspectives, um, it's, it's just always incredible to watch. And so that, I mean, that's initially what inspired us to, to turn the cameras um, towards the program in the first place. Yeah, and also, you know, this is a YMCA program behind this, ultimately, what this program is for is for youth, is child development, for youth development. And so behind the scenes, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that there's little delegations all over the state, and these are the groups that go to the conferences. They go to Sacramento together, so the Culver City delegation, you know, there's a Redlands delegation, there's the Oakland delegation, and there might be anywhere from 30 to 150 kids in that delegation, and they go to the conference, and then they, they fan out into their roles in the government. But at the end of the day, they come back together as a delegation. And when they come back together, that really historic piece of what the YMCA does so well is really in play, and that's the fellowship amongst young people. And so they really learn how to, be fr to form friendships. They learn how to support each other. They learn about the goodness and what they are trying to do in this program. Um, and they just become, you know, really well-rounded individuals. That's the goal, at least, you know, and that's, that's, that's what happens. So, you know, when you see how they behave, how they act, it's, of course, a, a feature of the, the program, the simulation, the, you know, the leadership, the putting yourself out there. But it's also a function of, you know, that old-style camp culture of the Y that brings that, you know, that fellowship piece and, the, and YMG does an excellent, youth and government does an excellent job of that. Yeah, it's, you can see that. I mean, it's, it's, it's very impressive. Um, one of the plot points that happens in front of the camera is uh, one of the candidates, won't say which one, uh, an event mm -hmm. occurs where something that they had put out previous to them being in office, and this is very real world, um, suddenly gets drugged, dragged out and, and put to light, and they have to deal with that, and I won't call it a scandal, but it, it has that tone to it um, that, that could derail their campaign. What was it like watching mm -hmm. that unfold from behind the camera? 
It was really intense. It was so intense because, you know, we said it about a dozen times, but they lose themselves in, in this experience. The political implications of what had happened for that candidate felt extremely high stakes and very real, you know. Um, but it's not a scandal. It was just, uh, it was just you know, um, politicians deal with this every day. They say things about mm-hmm. issues. They're on the record. They're public personas. And it could have been 20 years ago. It could have been 20 days ago. Uh, those those moments are brought up and used as attacks. And it's that's fair. That's that's a part of politics. It's a fair, um, uh, you know, part of a campaign. Um, it, it, you know, it's not always a good faith argument that's being made with some of that stuff. Um, and it's not always honest, very deceptive. I mean, there, there's some differences there. Um, but our candidate dealt with, it was a political issue that he had spoken on or that she had spoken on, and uh, it got brought back as a piece of contrast between them and other can you know other candidates. This is what this person stands for. This is what I stand for. Um, you know, and that was just something they had to navigate. Um, and also, it's like these are these are sixteen year olds, and like as an adult, you we want so badly to advise him, like, oh, you can still you can still make a change, like you can still pivot. And like, if you just, you know, but it's hard. It's, I mean, not every, you know, it's like, it's, it's a, it's a really advanced chess game that they're playing there and they're learning real fast about how, how to handle that. Um, so it was really remarkable to see that. Um, and it's tough, you know, it's tough. Cause you want, you want, you want them all to like, you want all of them to win somehow, but obviously that can't happen. But it was a great part of the program. Right. No, did you, as you watched that, did you observe something in in that innocence and the pivot and the honesty um, that that they displayed at the time there? Is there something you think adult politicians could learn from that? Because the, I mean, not to hedge your answer, but to me, I really appreciated the the clear authenticity, the young person versus the pivots that happen in today's political scene by much older people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what's your question? What what would you have an older politician learn from the way kids handled their challenges? Hmm. Well, I mean, one, I think one thing what, that's different. Oh, go ahead, man. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I think that youth and government is an is an idyllic example of a, of a electoral process, um, but I don't think it's idyllic to say that adults should be truthful and um, should take responsibility for themselves and the things that they do and say um, and strive to, you know, own up to those values. And so I think that what we saw in the program was kids who were making mistakes as we all do uh, and learning like on the fly, how to be leaders. And how they deal with that is one of the great examples 
of our film for for adults who not just are in politics but in general. There's a humility yeah, too that comes with the, the the teen experience. You know, they a lot of issues. Um, I don't want to give anything away from the film, but you know, a lot of the issues that they speak to, they don't fully even. They're learning what these issues even are, you know, in real time. And so to miss to misspeak, um, to to not represent yourself um, and what you your philosophy might be. That, that kind of comes with the territory. There's a lot of stumbles, you know, because it's young uh, politics. Um, and um, but that's not to say that adults couldn't learn from that that humility, you know, that that um, mm-hmm. ability to change and grow and say, you know, I did I did used to think that I think this now. Um, I didn't mean to say that then, or I, I, it's taken out of context, you know, um, instead of. Um, you know, maybe some of the other approaches. So, uh, you know, I think that's a, a great takeaway from these. Yeah, things. they're they're debating they're debating very complex issues uh, that you know they're de- they're debating all the issues. You know, housing, elections, uh, drug and, and addiction. Uh, you know, law enforcement. Fund, you know, they're putting together a state budget. They're deciding funding priorities. Um, you know, education sexual assault. I mean, these they're debating all these things. In committee, the candidates are putting out platforms and statements on these issues. It can get messy, you know? And uh, not every statement a kid makes is a thoroughly researched, totally full. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are, you know, these are high school teens, 16, 15, 16, 17 years old. So, um, you know, that's, that's, part, that's part of the developmental process in this program is learning what they, what they believe in, learning what they stand for and learning what to speak on. Yeah. And, and I, my, my cynical side says, unfortunately, I think a lot of the career politicians do even less research than the kids did. Um, but everything you're saying is tr- absolutely true. But um, one of the things um, in the film, so it starts out with six candidates that gets narrowed down to three then the three get narrowed down to two in the final election. Um, for me watching it, I was, I had no clue at the point where it went down from six to three, which three were going to make it. It was like, it was mm. complete shock across the board, you know, who, who it was. <laughs> and if, if the other three had won, I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been any more surprising. Um, while you were watching it, did you get a sense as to who the front runners really were? Well, yeah, I mean, Jaron and I, like we were saying, we've this. I mean, if you combine our times in the program as as youth and as adults, we've probably seen over twenty governor races in youth governor races. So we know who's got who's got that it factor, who's got it, and who can win. And that year was really tough. I mean, you know, part of that luck that tough, comes with yeah. Doc Film, they were, um, it was, it, we really had a tough time. You know, all of us on the crew were making our picks of like who's going to be top three, who's going to win it all. Um, I think Jaron and I were close. I think Jaron and I had two out of three making it to the top three. Um, and then, you know, I'll just leave it, I'll just leave it at that. But it was a very, yeah. it was a really, uh, close rate. These are a phenomenal group of kids. 
and we want yeah, you know we wanted to be out is. in front of it so we could be we needed to literally be in front of it with the cameras you know so we were trying to like hedge our um idea of like how that would um pan out and you know we've we've we even filmed a uh, a couple other years um more more lightly not with as big of a uh effort or as big of a crew but um we have rolled the cameras before and so you get a sense of, um, I mean, the team dynamic is much different um, than the adult dynamic in terms of the crowd, in terms of what makes somebody popular or makes um, somebody connect with um, with what they're saying on the mic. Um, but, but like Matt said, we, since we've been in the program so long, we, we, we try to tune into the, some of those wavelengths as well. And um, it, it, this year was just, yeah, it was really incredible. There was actually a few more kids that didn't even make the top six who we were sure was we're gonna oh yeah we're gonna break through that was into the real that. shocker so the, i think yeah, yeah i think that was yeah. the real shocker yeah um some of them became characters what, uh, um it, later in the film actually but they um you know they, they it was just a really competitive year how did how did the kids uh at all the different levels handle that rejection i mean it, what is it a healthy thing was it a healthy thing for them yeah, you got to learn how to take a loss, you know, and like these, uh, I mean, the program starts and you have six political parties and there's about six or seven candidates in each party running to get their party primary. So that's, you know, 35 or so kids running for governor out the gate. The primaries happen pretty quick. They give speeches and they kind of go to a vote right there on the spot, like a, a secret ballot vote. So there's not a ton of investment. There's a lot of nerves, obviously speaking, like stepping into a room, like they're showing up to Sacramento two hours later, um, or they're showing up to the first two conferences are actually in Fresno, but they're stepping into a room and, you know, they get, they get the conference, you know, two hours later, they're giving a speech in front of four or 500 people. Um, that's really nerve wracking when you're, I think uh, there's a lot of adults who would be terrified of, of to do that, let alone, mm-hmm. you know, 15, 16 yeah. year olds. So, um, but, you know, they, they, they kind of show it's a whirlwind. That happens, and then a lot of them lose right there, you know. So it's like kind of like it stings, but but then that next level, when, you know, the top six, I, I mean, there's a couple of them. I think, it, you know, it shows, uh, you know, our, like like Jaron said earlier, that we really committed to the Verite style. We didn't we didn't pull kids into sit-down interviews all all the time on every little thing. We really wanted to let it let it read. And I think there's some moments where you can see the look on their face when they've lost of what it, what, how mm-hmm. it feels, you know, I think it's, it, and uh, yeah, that's tough when you get up there in front of a couple thousand people and you're pouring, I mean, it's electrifying, you put your heart into it. And then, you know, you have to, you kind of, everyone knows you lost too. They announced those top three in front of all 4,000 people. So um, yeah, that's tough, but they inevitably become leaders in the program because that name recognition, people know who they are. Um, you know, ultimately they're, you know, they're celebrated for trying to do something big. You know, kids, kids recognize that for sure. Yeah, definitely. So I want to pivot. What, how do people watch this? Where, where can they, um, that you're launching this on the uh, 26th of this month? Where, how can people watch it? Um, so it's going to be on uh, VOD for rental on iTunes and on Amazon on starting on August 26th. And so we, you know, want everyone to 
get out and rent it, support these kids. We're pushing, doing a nationwide campaign. Also, the Youth Governor uh, Instagram account is really championing the voices of the kids, not only from the film, but from youth and government programs across the country. And uh, we have a lot of plans for expanding that and uh, a lot of big plans in the months to come. But it all starts with people uh, renting it starting August 26th. Excellent. And what do you hope people will walk away watching the film? What do you hope the takeaway will be? That there's no, like, secret door to government. You know, there's no, like, working group on some other floor who's going to, like, come and do it. It's, it's, it's them. It's, 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 it's us, you know. It's, it's the kids. Like, they are learning how the hard work is done. And so I think we hope that people see that and see that that's what is required. And, and then also can zoom out and see, like, how these kids learn and will go on to do that and have some hope and some faith that young people are learning like the core values and, and, and mechanics of our democracy. And so we hope people take that away. That's excellent. Yeah. We have a lot of kids that uh, have come on the show. We, we've interviewed different kids and they're usually kids who have confronted um, authority. Like we've had the kids from Florida and, and different places where an injustice has happened and they've stood up to the authority and, yeah. and have become basically activists. And I really hope right. those kids see this because I think yeah. there's a, a step that a lot of people miss between, you know, knowing that yeah. something has to be done and getting involved in the mechanism to make change actually happen in real world. Yeah. Um, so I, I yeah. think it's hugely valuable. Brody, did you have any question you wanted to ask? I, the thing that kind of struck me as I was very quietly sitting here on the sidelines <laughs> um, is that I've noticed, and, and I say this as an editor and what my reporters have told me, that there is more sense of a determination with the current generations, particularly the ones we call Generation Z, uh, that we've seen practically in almost 50, 60 years since the Civil Rights Movement, can you two briefly give me a sense of whether you think that this particular generation of Gen Zers um, are a little bit more politically astute and engaged in their world than previous generations? Um, you know, a lot of people say that, but I, I don't think we, we – we don't feel that way. Every generation has been engaged in the issues of their time. These kids are no different. It's just that they grow up, they're growing up in a media culture and news culture that is so much more, they know about all the problems all the time everywhere. Um, and so they're just more advanced, like any new generation of young people would be. And their participation in the film, you can see the political calculus and chess game they play. I mean, we were in the program as young people, we didn't play that the same way like it, we play checkers there you know compared to what they're doing in the program so um you know i think that these kids are more advanced they're sharper they're more knowledgeable but i think they care about the issues of the day and their future just like every generation of young people does and i think they just have more uh tools uh to do that and so i think that's what 
is very exciting to see um, watching them perform in this documentary. Well, it's, it's well, fascinating stuff, and we're, we're down to our last few minutes. I want to thank you both, first of all, for what you do and bringing this out and, and making this so visible. So thank you for that. And, you know, the astounding filmmaking that you guys do as an art form. So thank you for that. And thank you, most importantly, for coming on with us today. I mean, it's been really, really great. What question have we not asked that we should ask in our last few minutes? Oh, I think you asked them all. <laughs> we appreciate you guys taking the time. I think we appreciate you guys taking the time, taking interest in this film. Um, it's a story that we feel like uh, is really important, an important time. And there's a huge youth and government community in this country that we're excited to galvanize and support, uh, you know, the story of, of what youth and government is and the story that the youth governor, the documentary, tells. Excellent, excellent. Jaron, did you have any last thoughts? No, I just wanted to just thank you guys for having us. Like Matt said, it's um, this this means a lot to us to to share, you know, with the world what we've been working on for for so long, so passionately. Um, but also just to hear uh, how the film affects you and and how it resonated and um, and and you know we hope that the the younger audiences connect with it and feel motivated and empowered and we we hope that older audiences can connect and and see that um it's not all doom and gloom no it's it's a fascinating film i highly encourage everybody to to watch it it is worth your while it's gripping i mean you get caught up in the people in it and wanting to see who succeeds um you know it's 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 as, as gripping as a fictional film showing a campaign might be. Um, but more importantly, I think even for adults, it shows the process and what government really is about and how real change can be affected. Because a lot of times with all of this viewpoint and Twitter and everything going back and forth, everything gets oversimplified and it is much more complex. And it really is heartening to see that young people are understanding that and, and learning that process. Um, I'm afraid that's it for us for today. Um, thank you to our listeners for tuning in again. Please tell your friends, subscribe. We love you. Uh, we will be back again next week with a really fascinating program. As you know, I have no idea what it is, but I guarantee you that we will strive to bring you that level of quality and intrigue. So for those of us that rated LGBT radio, thank you again. Read the LA Blade magazine in LA and online, and we will talk to you again next week. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. 